0: Welcome to the Newberry Tart Podcast. Your hosts, Marcy and Jenny, are talking and drinking their way through Newberry award-winning books, past and present. Hi, and welcome back to the Newberry Tart Podcast. I'm Marcy. I'm Jenny. Today we're starting on season four, which is 1971. We'll cover the honor books and then the middle winner, but today's book is Neenock Rise by Natalie Babbitt.
1: Um, It was illustrated by her as well. And we have the New York Times review um, of Neenock Rise, which was written by Eudora Welty. I'm going to read just a part of it. A little boy named Egan goes to visit relations in instep, a village at the foot of a strange cliff called Neenock Rise. On top of this cliff is a cloud of mist, and from somewhere in that mist, on stormy nights when the rain drove harsh and cold, an undiscovered creature would lift its voice and moan. It moaned like a lonely demon, like a mad despairing animal, like a huge and anguished something chained forever to its own great tragic disappointments. Nobody knew what it was. Nobody had ever gone to sea and come back again. Not in a thousand years. No wonder nobody in instep sleeps well. All the same, there's a fair held every year and the inhabitants say, come and eat and dance, be entertained and spend your money and hear the megramum for yourselves. For the monster is a cause for local pride. Megramum is a name calling up Grim, Mirage, maybe Moloch, but in essence, it seems a sound out word for a power that's mainly all mouth, making a noise and reputed to devour. Before the day of the fair is over, Egan climbs the cliff to find out the secret for himself. It's an awesome review, actually. <laughs> it's a really, really good review. Um, and of course, I only read a part of it. <clears throat> we're going to talk um, about more specifics of the, the story. But in honor of the strange mountain community that is afraid of the megramum, and we're going to talk about that more as we talk about the book, Ninoch Rise, we're drinking a moonshine cocktail called the Ginger Snap. I just want to start off by saying that I loved this book so much. I can't – we'll get into the different ways that I love this book, but I absolutely adored this book, and I'm very glad that I finally got to read it.
0: This is one of those books that I've had on my shelf for a long time, and if I've read it, I don't remember, and I feel like I would remember. But, yeah, I really enjoyed it too.
1: Mm -hmm. So I love that Egan goes from his his home. He goes to this little town of Instep to visit relatives. He – is a little bit of a know-it-all. Kind of has a little bit of an attitude problem. And when he gets there, he meets his cousin. Who's even worse than he is. Yeah. And um, <laughs> there's the cat's sweetheart who is even worse than he is. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. To greet
0: him, a sweetheart reached out and scratched him on the face. Mm-hmm. So, And his cousin Ada is basically like, you deserved it and like dances away. <laughs> the first time she ever meets him. And the illustration of that in my book is hilarious. Look at this Look at the looks on their
1: faces. Yeah. They're both they both cannot be bothered by this this young boy who's shown up that seems to think very highly of himself. And um yeah, that drawing by Natalie Babbitt is <laughs> yeah. very good.
0: It it is so interesting to me that she illustrated this as well. I mean, we'll talk more about that later, but the drawings are perfect.
1: Mm. So he's there. He learns about this thing that lives on the mountain that when it rains, Makes it some, makes noises. Yeah, this big moaning noise. Mhm. And um there is a kind of a dust up in the middle of the night. It's the first night he's there, right? Yeah, I think so. And his aunt claims to have seen a face in the window. That was the Megramum. It had come to their house. The Megramum was looking in the window at everybody. Happy. Hmm?
0: Tapping on the window.
1: Oh, yeah. Tapping on the window. And so the aunt gets her moment in the sun where all the neighbors come the next day, and she gets to describe it over and over and over what happened. And at this point, that's when I realize that this is an allegory for something. I'm not entirely sure what it is, and still I'm not sure, but – Because the the aunt and all the townsfolk, the uncle, they all start talking about the rituals that they've performed slash all the things that are in place that should have stopped the megramum from visiting.
0: Yeah, like they they hang a wishbone to convince it that there's nothing to eat there because they've eaten everything and they hang onions and uh, what was it? There was something else they do too.
1: They put something in the window? Is that the onions?
0: I think the onions in the window. But they have all these little household rituals that they do that should keep them safe.
1: And it's the whole town does it.
0: And they enjoy it.
1: Yeah. <laughs> and so it's this really interesting sociological moment where you realize that they've all bought into this. And not only are they afraid of the megramum, they're actually really excited by the megramum. And that's that's where the festival plays into it too. Because a lot of times you would, I mean, I think rationally you would think, if they're afraid of this thing that's moaning on the mountain, they would just leave it be mm-hmm. and wouldn't talk about it or go and try to shoot it or something. But it's it actually gives the, the town energy and it gives the town something unique to talk about. Like their town is known for that. So they have the festival. It's like double extra good if it rains during the festival because then the can megramum hear can the hear. The yeah. Everyone can hear the megramum moaning like a demon. Um so I thought this was super interesting from that perspective as well.
0: Yeah. And th- it helps that like the entire book is very like whimsically written, like not in a silly way, but just like a little bit off-kilter so that it's enjoyable. It's just a fun style of writing and it has a lot of humor in it, not jokes, just like a humorous like you can see how Ada is being ridiculous and how the cat sweetheart is being obnoxious but like the it it puts humor in everything. I don't know. It reminds me of a couple of different things. It reminds me of like a a really churchy town. You know how there's like church groups and church potlucks and like seventeen different kinds of activities and that's what makes everybody so energetic. Like everybody is together on it and mm-hmm. so they act that way. And it feels it feels well religious if, almost.
1: Well, it feels like to me, it feels like a constructed community, like in the giver. Yes, Where you have these rules that you abide by that, this is, that the town has decided on. And so <clears throat> you abide by those, you don't step out of line, and everything's safe.
0: Mm-hmm. But without the, like, ominous utopian, yeah. dystopian thing.
1: Because it never really feels like something is going to come down off the mountain and kill them. Not really. No, it's more like how people have festivals for, like,
0: Bigfoot or, like, Roswell, New Mexico. Like, that kind of celebratory... It's scary, but it's not scary. Yeah.
1: Yeah. But yeah. And it also... Um, I think that's an important part. Like, you were saying, there's not that ominous undertone. Like, in the lottery, right? There's, like, a certain... <laughs> oh, yeah. There's a certain set of rules that they abide by, and you do that to stay safe. But if they don't do it, then...
0: Something bad happens.
1: Something really bad happens.
0: Whereas here, the only thing that would happen that is bad is that you disillusion yourselves.
1: Yeah. And it's kind of a group delusion. It's a group, it's agreed upon group delusion. And as we find out, Egan, um, Egan gets to festival day.
0: And he enjoys that too. It's everybody's selling trinkets and food and having a good time.
1: It it reminds me a lot of like descriptions of like fairy markets and different things like yeah, I, stardust I actually, yes, and like it reminded me a lot of the fairy markets the, market uh, the Moorchild and so many different other books where even the night circus a little bit where there's this market or this fair going on and it's almost it's its own magical entity unto itself
0: mm-hmm. but he and his cousin get just totally worn out running around this festival and hang out for a while. And it's starting to get dark and stormy, which makes everybody happy because it means they'll be able to hear the monster because it only makes the noises when it's raining. But she dares him and basically says that he would be too scared to go climb Ninoch Rise. And unlike somebody who grew up in the town that really feels like ingrained that you never go up
1: there, he's like, fine, I'll do it. I want to anyway. <laughs> So he starts doing that. He's got his dog, the dog with him. That's actually his uncle's.
0: Yeah. So I think we forgot to mention, but at the beginning when he gets there, his uncle has gone missing for a couple of days. And apparently that's not super unusual, but his aunt likes to be anxious and worked up and she
1: is anxious and worked up about it. But it's her brother, not her husband. Yeah. So the other uncle, because we've mentioned another uncle, that's her husband. Yeah. But Uncle Ott is her brother.
0: And Annabelle is his dog, and he's been
1: missing for a few days without Annabelle. And usually he takes Annabelle with him. Mm-hmm. So Egan starts up the mountain. Um, his cousin runs to get adults because she's like, he's going to die. She the megram going to get him. She cannot like, believe that he did it. Yeah, like she was very bratty and like egged him on, and then he took, her, took the bait. And then she's like, oh, no, I can't believe that he's going to do it. <laughs> And so it's very, very, uh, very dramatic that she runs to get the adults. They form a search party. It's raining. The wind is howling. And they're about – they're a couple of miles behind him. And Egan's climbing and climbing and climbing. And the storm is getting worse and worse. And
0: noises are moaning around him. And he's actually finally getting scared. Mm -hmm. Um, Should we we spoil the ending? I don't know. I mean – Yeah. Yeah. So he finally gets to the top and he hears a strange noise and he finds his Uncle Ott, who has just been chilling up there,
1: apparently climbed up, stayed for a while. But he is not the megramum.
0: No, he is not.
1: A sulfur spring is the megramum.
0: So there's a secretly, all this time, been a hot spring at the top of this thing. And that is what creates the mist that perpetually shrouds the top. And every time it rains, it's like the pressure makes more makes more noise and makes the moaning noise. And that is the whole Micromom
1: secret. No monster. No monster. And as um, Uncle Ot says, it's, it's only a natural spraying sulfur. Nasty, but not unnatural. <laughs>
0: <laughs> so the whole time, the whole town has been panicking and started climbing up after him after much discussion because they don't want to get eaten. Um, but he... Essentially comes back down and meets them. And Egan's like,
1: hey, I did go all the way to the top, and guess I fa- guess who I found? I found your brother. So I guess it's it's Uncle Anson's brother, not mm. the aunt brother. Um, and there's a spring up there, a spring in a cave, and there's no megramum. And Uncle Anson claps his hand over Egan's mouth and is like, shh. <laughs> And then Egan keeps telling everybody, "There's no Megramum. There's no Megramum. There's just a spring up there." And the whole search party get really quiet. And, and like, then one of, like, oh, yeah. no. one of them is like, "Yeah, one of them's like, he's feverish. He's having deliriums." I just I feel bad for him because he's so happy
0: about like the relieving news he's going to give this whole town. And then everybody's like, "Oh, the boy is crazy. Oh, <laughs> traumatized from his experience."
1: Yeah, because they all know it's not real. On some level, yeah. some huge level. And um, to have a logical explanation, they don't want their legend to be taken away. They don't want their boogeyman to be taken away. Again, this is not like they're killing each other in the name of the, the Megramum. They're not doing any violence to anyone in the name of the Megramum. No. They're not doing anything bad in the name of the Megramum. They are willfully part of this delusion. It makes things more exciting.
0: Well, yeah. So like in my book, this is on page 54, but when he is there and sort of – acclimating before the whole adventure part he says why doesn't everyone move away if you know if everybody's so scared and his aunt gertrude uh looked shocked what an idea she said never mind you'll stop feeling nervous when you go home (laughs) home is gonna seem kind of dull after instep sighed egan aunt gertrude beamed and gave him another plate of eggs that's it exactly she said so they just they enjoy it and um even right at the beginning, actually, this is the first thing that made me realize I was really going to like this book. But when they're talking about the cliff and the way that the village feels about it, it says they trembled over it, whispered about it, and fed their hearts to bursting with gleeful terrors. It was frightful and fine, and it belonged to them.
1: Like, yeah, they would play chicken with it, basically. Yeah, I mean, it's the way that,
0: like, for me, Halloween, you know, I, like, do up my house like crazy with skeletons and lights, and I love it, and it's spooky, and it's creepy, and it's creepy. And it it's great, you know, it's really fun. And I can see how a whole town would get into that.
1: Mm-hmm. Well, it seems very pastoral. And like going back, you said that it seems like a religious community. Um, yeah, I mean, they seem almost like a shaker village in a lot of ways. Yeah. Like where there's very few modern developments. We're not sure if the whole world is like that or the whole region is like that or if it's just this town um, but it feels very quaint and very kind of of the past in a, in an on-purpose way. I, I agree, and I like how well she does that.
0: It reminded me a little bit of um, when we talked about um, Tales of Coventry, like that kind of old-timey without being specific Period. It's like the 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 time period is just like quote unquote some point in the past, mm-hmm. but not that far. Um, but I mean, they make it really clear that this is the one special thing in a really flat, boring region, and it would be hard for a town to give that up.
1: Yeah. <laughs> well, it's like how many times have have it's has it been proven or. Has a search been launched for the Loch Ness Monster, right? And they've never found anything conclusive. Same thing with Sasquatch. Same thing with aliens. Same thing with a lot of ghosts. So there are towns. There's uh, there's families that have built culture and commerce around these phenomena. And, you know, like you don't want to give it up to a certain degree. Yeah. You want to keep that magic alive for yourself and for others that visit. Also, it may be an economic th- factor. Oh, yeah, I mean, in this case, with the fair, runs yeah. on
0: this one event. Yeah, um, even his aunt makes little like socks for table legs to sell. Like you can sell anything that time of year.
1: The Megramum likes these table socks. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well, and the really interesting
0: thing was that, uh, reading it objectively, it seemed clear from the beginning that this noise was made by some sort of natural phenomenon like the way it's described it seems clear like happens only when it rains it's like a moaning noise it's not articulate so i can see why some like legend would build up about it but it seems obvious that it is natural but knowing natalie babbitt is the author kind of changes that when you're reading it because she's well known for tuck everlasting which does have a supernatural element to it which made me think that halfway through they were going to switch and have it be real like, the whole time, I'm like, oh, is there going to be, like, a turn where it turns out there's really a Megramon? So I thought that was, like, a fun part. And it it was kind of uh, appropriate to the book, too, because I feel like the townsfolk all realize that it's not real. But then but then there's that little bit of, like, maybe it's true. like, And so I was feeling that as a reader, the way that the townsfolk, I'm sure, feel all the time. And it was that was just really enjoyable.
1: What if it had been, like, Tuck up there?
0: I know. Maybe that's what he turned into. Maybe that's where he came from. There was a spring...
1: That's true. But it was stinky. Well. Did Tuck smell? I don't think he smelled. I don't think so. He was pretty appealing, I think.
0: Yeah. So maybe there's good springs and bad springs. Maybe yeah. there is something up there.
1: Yeah. I I just love the line. It, you're exactly right. Like, it could have been something that was real. And it was something that was real, but it could have been an actual creature or an actual something mystical, magical I love the line that she, she towed with that, yeah. um, kind of pu- pulling back, you know, either or, either or, either or, but didn't feel like I was getting whiplash. It didn't feel like I was being jerked around. The only problem when
0: both of us like a book is that we're both like, yeah, it was awesome. And then there's not as
1: much to talk about. <laughs> yeah. There, there isn't as much to talk about with this as there might've been, let's say another book. <laughs> there's not much to mock. Like, say, another book, um I, although I try to be gentle, um but you know you I only go so far sometimes. one of the things I thought was super interesting it was the role that the animals played, but they're not anthropomorphized. no, they're not their sweetheart is seen as having intuition, <laughs> sweetheart, the main cat is seen as having She's intu- so mean. intuition. And Annabelle is seen as being a loving companion, but they're never really mixed up into people characters or, like, they have giant personalities, and I, I appreciate that.
0: Yeah, they're just, like, quintessential cats and dogs. Yeah. Like, she's, like, this fat, mean cat, but, like, can hold her own. And Annabelle is, like, also fat, but just, like, he when he first meets her... He's just like, oh, you good old Annabelle. Like that's just like what kind of dog she is. And the illustrations again, of, the illustrations again of the dog are awesome. Like he's just like a fat brown and white dog, who's like placid and good and does whatever she's supposed to. She's such a good dog.
1: Yeah, Annabelle is just in this picture. She's asleep. Her stomach is just hanging off, kind of to the side. She, she's described as snoring. I love Ada. Look at her taunting. Yeah, I, I, you know, these drawings, they're simple. But they have a lot of expression in them. And I really enjoy that.
0: Well, I was so interested to read about Natalie Babbitt's background. Yeah. yeah so she and her husband worked together to make a picture book. And that was their first book. But he um, was, I think, the president of a college and was just too busy to keep on with it. So she wrote and illustrated a couple books in verse and I think possibly other picture books, I'm not sure, but um then she just started writing children's novels. And I just didn't realize that she was also an illustrator. I had no idea she did the illustrations for this too until I looked into it. And she did she like did illustrative work for other authors too, even though she wasn't in on in on the writing part. But I just had no idea and Sometimes people illustrate their own books and I can understand why they would want to, but the illustrations are just not that great. But sometimes like this, like somebody illustrates their own book and they're perfect. When you're a good author and a good artist and you understand what you're trying to convey in both mediums and you put them together, it's just really great.
1: It looks like she did um, she illustrated mostly for the poet Valerie Worth. Um, so she illustrated some of the poetry books.
0: I think I read that they were friends.
1: That makes sense. She wrote a lot of different books. A lot of them um, seem to have been set in mythologies of her own making. Um, what's interesting is nenok Rise was actually published before Tuck Everlasting. Tuck Everlasting was 1975. So she would have gotten... She would have been recognized for Ninoch Rise, of course, with a Newbery honor. She also, the Search for Delicious was something that mm-hmm. I know she got some um, got some recognition for in the Devil's Storybook. But then Tuck Everlasting, I think, is probably her most well-known book.
0: Yeah, when you say Natalie Babbitt, people assume that she won a Newbery for Tuck Everlasting, although that's not the case. But it is, I would say, by far her most well-known book. Mm-hmm. But it is interesting that they both have like supernatural elements and like sort of small town life and springs.
1: Yeah, they do. It's interesting too because I feel like they're these novels hinge on bigger themes than the characters, the children's character like the children characters themselves really are capable of understanding or take on. Um, in this case, Egan just is happy to be away from home. He really is excited about and um interested in this whole Nenok Rise situation with the megramum. Um and through the course of him being interested with in that, and engaging with that in the town, he solves some kind of some of his attitude problems, but it's never like a direct yeah. thing that he tries to do.
0: Even when he is trying to do something, like find out what's up at the top, he's just like, wonder what's up there. It's not like I'm about to like dissolve this town's mythology. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> There's a whole grown-up level to go, that's happening that has nothing to do with him.
1: And even when he goes up there and he realizes what's going on, he gets the explanation from his uncle Ott. He spends that moment, he's standing on the cliff. He's like, they're going to be so proud of me. They're going to be so excited that I solved the mystery, not understanding the dynamics that were at play in the town.
0: Uncle Ott gets it, though. He mm-hmm. takes Annabelle and he goes down the other side and he's like, oh, there's another hill, you know, and he keeps going and leaves the mystery for the town. Mm-hmm. So he, he I think Uncle Ott is sort of the solution to the problem for everyone. Mm-hmm. You know, he he satisfies his own curiosity. He explains everything logically and then he keeps on going without
1: ruining it for everybody else. Mm-hmm. He must smell really bad, though. Oh, my God. <laughs> I mean, between sleeping with the dog all the time. Sulfur Springs. And hanging out by the sulfur spring that screams at people.
0: Hiking and hanging out in the woods for days and days on end.
1: I mean, I'm not saying that that doesn't sound like fun. That sounds like a lot of fun.
0: But smelly fun.
1: Yeah. And I I wonder why that wasn't something that would have come up.
0: Also like- Like,
1: ah, why do you smell so bad? Ah, why do you smell like farts?
0: Why did you go up here and then just stay there? Is the other thing.
1: Yeah, why was he just hanging up? I mean, I guess the idea is he gets some peace and quiet.
0: Well, I know, but it's not peaceful or quiet. It's all moaning up there. It's because not raining.
1: It's it's peaceful, right?
0: Yeah, but like, there's a hot spring that's too hot to go in. Yeah, and there's a big loud noise anytime it rains. Meanwhile, you're outside up on a huge cliff where it's raining. Like that has to be freezing. Yeah. What was he? And he wasn't gonna come down. It's just because Egan went up and found him and gave him his dog. Uncle
1: Ott remains a mystery. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Maybe in like a further mythology, Uncle Ott becomes the Megramum.
1: Maybe. But that's creating. I mean, he wouldn't become the Megramum. He would just embody it, right? Because it doesn't actually exist. So he would give it a physical presence. Mm-hmm. <sighs> hmm. Well, you know, it makes him happy. He's stinky, <laughs> he's wandering the countryside, he's got his dog. You know, to each his own.
0: More power to you, Uncle I.
1: There you go. Now, when I was at Yellowstone, I got to see several sulfur springs, and they really do smell very bad. Really? Also, when it's cold, the buffalo and other animals, I guess, tend to go to the edge of them for warmth. So when you go, a lot of times you'll see around the edge of the sulfur pit, you'll just see poops. Hmm. Because the animals are there for warmth and then they poop. Mm-hmm. I guess they get warm and relaxed and they do it. So, this st- spring sounds like it was pretty far up. So, it's probably not covered or lined with uh, little little buffalo poops. I would hope not. But uh, yeah, I don't know why I told that story other <laughs> than there's moonshine in my face right at this moment.
0: You know, when I was little, um, I lived in Florida. And uh, they would they would use the groundwater for sprinklers, like mm-hmm. not the drinking water, but just the whatever Florida groundwater. Non potable. Yeah, which was pretty gross. But so I actually like the smell of like the slightly sulfuric water, just because it's sort of like childhood memory to me, mm-hmm.
1: which is weird too. Your childhood smells like farts.
0: I am from Florida. <laughs> <laughs>
1: <laughs> We've covered the hellscape that is Florida and several other episodes, so we'll just leave you to find those bits. Um, maybe the Megamum is an alligator. Maybe. Okay, so if if the Megamum had turned out to be real, how did you expect it to look, or what did you expect the attributes? What attributes did you expect it to have?
0: Well, I don't know. I didn't have anything in particular in mind. But I think that's what makes the Megamum scary: is that you have no idea what it would look like. Oh, it does have kind of a Grinchy feel to it.
1: Because of the cliff, I can I can see that. I can see where you're, where you're coming from with that. I, in my head, it looked like the Gruffalo, Julia Donaldson's mm-hmm. Gruffalo, but a mean version.
0: A Mean Gruffalo.
1: So it was a very mean Gruffalo, just roaring. And I think in my head I had the reason why it would roar when it was raining and thundering it was because it got scared oh so still kind of a soft stuff <laughs> <laughs> soft touch there but um i think the reason it
0: felt grinchy to me is because you know high up on the mountain looking down on this little celebratory village with the kind of dumb happy-go-lucky let's have a fair villagers but that makes sense yeah What are your read-alikes? Well, I don't know that I have any particular read-alikes or read-betters, but I had some sort of uh, reminiscent books. Uh, I think you mentioned some of them already, actually. Um, the, uh, the Fair in Stardust, the fair that happens once a year. So the other one that it reminded me of is another Newberry book, actually, by Robin McKinley called The Blue Sword, where there is um, a girl named Harry who – sort of unwillingly transplanted uh when her parents died she has nowhere else to live her brother's in the military so she goes to live with him sort of on base although that it's in a different context than that and um they live on the edge of a desert where there's the sort of a native population and once a year uh there's a rainy season that's very brief but when it's over, everybody comes out and they have this annual fair and people come from all over the place and people who they never would ordinarily talk to or meet come to this fair. And it's very exciting, sort of in the same way. But it also has that sense of the mysterious also.
1: I actually, I have one read-alike for this and it's just because of the tone and kind of the the idea of community, the idea of there being rules that are in place, um, And that's Orphan Island by Laurel Snyder. Oh, so good. Um, So it has that same kind of almost pastoral feeling to me. And Orphan Island is about a group of children who are on an island. Once a year, a boat comes, a bell rings, and the oldest child is taken away, and a youngest child is brought onto the island. So this girl, Ginny, it's her best friend, Dean, is taken away at the beginning of the book. He's the oldest. And this is about her final year on the island. It has a lot, there are a lot of rules that they've taught each other. They've passed down kind of generation to generation, although it's just one year apart. And a lot of mystery. Yeah, a lot of mystery. But several of the group members are very... Happy to keep things the way they are and just follow along with what they've been told. Some of them want to know the bigger picture and what's going on. And Ginny starts to piece together a few things. It's just it's a beautiful book, um also set very heavily outside in nature, um
0: also with lots of little
1: rituals.
0: Mm-hmm. yeah, yeah,
1: that's a really good one, mm-hmm. So it's a very good book. Our drink is called the Ginger Snap. It is a moonshine cocktail. Um, It has two things in it. Well, three. It has ice. It's pretty standard. almost forgot to put it in there as an ingredient. It has a a red rock ginger ale, which is a spicy ginger ale that will burn your face off. (laughs) It's one of my favorites. And it has apple pie moonshine. Um, So you mix... That together in a jar, and you have your ginger snap.
0: It's a little intense.
1: Um, it is a little bit like drinking up apple pie with with like red hots in it. <laughs> it's really good. But because there's stuff cutting the red rock, it doesn't make you make it burn as much.
0: No, it doesn't burn as much, but it has like really intense kind of cinnamony flavor.
1: Mm-hmm. it's it's very good. And I think Moonshine was a good thing to pick for this book. Um, moonshine, of course, was cre it's you know it's associated with appalachia it's associ- associated with small groups of people who didn't have access to uh, mainstream liquor or um, just preferred to make their own um often illegally <laughs> uh, so i I just thought this that was a good match for this book because of the the kind of background of the idea of moonshine. Um, but yeah, and you also, you can buy moonshine now, which is the funniest thing to me. Um, in our interview with Catherine Applegate, we started talking about moonshine. <laughs> and I've had some of the homemade illegal moonshine. I had several different types. And um, it's so funny to me that now you can, I could just, I just went into a liquor store and bought apple pie moonshine. <laughs> so.
0: Well, yeah, I feel like this is something they would serve at the festival.
1: Oh, yeah. Yeah. Although, I mean, you'd have to be a little bit older to get exactly this. But you could just put apple cider and some ginger ale together, and Egan and Ada could be drinking this. Thanks so much for listening while we talked about Ninoch Rise, written and illustrated by Natalie Babbitt. Please rate and review us on whatever platform you're listening. It helps other people find the podcast and helps us keep the podcast going.
0: Thanks so much. We'll see you next time. Bye. Production assistance for Newberry Tart is provided by Raphael Siebenman and Liam Grove. Graphic design by Liz Meitinger. Intro and outro by Ariana Hargrave. Theme music for this podcast is provided by the laid-back and local Throckmorton Ukulele Band. You can hear more of their music on Facebook. Find more Newberry Tart episodes at iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. Our website is Newberry
1: Tart. That's N E W B E R Y T A R T dot com.